Um, we're going to talk about a day in the life of Gehazi today. Um, we're doing biographies uh, right now. This series is biographies. And I don't know if you know who Gehazi is, but you're about to find out. I learned a lot about Gehazi in this because there was one story in particular that I thought of when I was planning this series about Gehazi. And I'm like, oh, this would be a really cool story to, to go after. And then I started studying the person of Gehazi and realized like, wow, there's a whole lot more to this guy than I uh, knew, a whole lot more to this story than I knew, and it totally changed. I, like, even late into this week, my understanding of what this story is actually about really started to shift. So um, please join me in prayer, and let's just ask that the Lord would apply uh, what he wants to apply to our lives today. Father God, we are interested in knowing you and your story. We're interested in understanding who you are through the scripture, and um, as we... Uh, have consistently said through this series so far, we believe that in the story of each individual that's in the scripture, that somehow you're revealing yourself. And you're the one we want to see. We don't just want to learn about Gehazi, we want to learn about you. And, um, and in turn, we want that to shape our own lives and learning about us as well. And so uh, please reveal yourself in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> I want to pray for one more thing, too. I'm sorry. We're going to go back into a time of prayer. I want to pray for uh, Tiff Yeager. She had a surgery, a really significant surgery um, this week, um, and so she's in recovery. Let's pray for her. Father God, we just ask that you be with Tiff right now, and um, body, soul, and spirit, we just ask for your healing and restoration of her in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, have you had that experience, there's, there's this experience where if you know that someone has been a part of a company or gone, gone to a certain school or studied under a certain person, it's very easy to assume something about that person based on their circumstances. And sometimes our assumptions are ill-founded, you know, where a, a resume tells you so much, but it doesn't tell you the whole story. And uh, we have a tendency to believe that people are the sum of their experiences, but we're not. We're more than the sum of our experiences. And so uh, we, we could think that uh, a person who came from a wealthy home, who went to a really uh, good private school and ended up going to an Ivy League college, you, you could think because of that, they're, they're really intelligent, you know, but it might not be the case and for whatever reason, you know. And, but it's easy to kind of add up the sum of the parts and experiences and assume something. And in the same way, when in the Old Testament and all throughout the scriptures, when there was someone who was mentored by another person, that was supposed to carry an enormous amount of weight. I mean, you talk about, uh, you know, Paul talks about this when he says that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He drops his mentor's name. You know, because it, it's supposed to carry weight. I studied under so-and-so, you know. And if you are in a certain uh, field, whatever that field is, there are always the authorities in those fields. And the assumption is, is if you can get underneath of that person and study under that person, then chances are that's going to have massive effects on your life. And, it, and invariably, it does to some degree. But that doesn't tell the whole story. There's, there's more to the story than just who you've been around. There's something much deeper than that. And this story of Gehazi is very, very interesting because Gehazi, it, we don't know that name. That's not a name that just pops off of our biblical knowledge. Like, wait a minute, who is Gehazi? But if I said 
Elijah, you'd probably know who I'm talking about. And if I said Elisha, you'd probably know who I'm talking about. But then if I say Gehazi, you're like, who? And yet, Gehazi was to Elisha who Elisha was to Elijah. Hmm. Interesting that the story changes so much. We can't understand um, this story. We can't understand this, this person unless we understand the idea of multiplication, of self-replication, of reproducing in God's kingdom. You know, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, even to the end of the age, and lo, I am with you always. There is this mission that we get called to. In the New Testament, we get called to the replication of discipleship, which means we all have one mentor. We all have one father, and that's God. And we all have one king, one leader, and that's Jesus. And he calls us into a relationship, and he calls us disciples, followers of him. And in that process, as we grow and as we learn from Jesus, there's this natural thing that's supposed to be a part of that all the time. And that thing is that whatever it is that we are learning, whatever's being entrusted to us, we are also supposed to be entrusting to someone else. And if at any point you put a cork on the end of that thing, the flow doesn't work as well. And whatever God's pouring into us, it's hard to get fresh water in the conduit when it's getting jammed up, you know? We could use some analogies about water getting clogged up, but we won't do that. (laughs) And so part of the life in Christ is that we are conduit. That's where Jesus says, come unto me, any of you who are thirsty, and out of you will flow streams of living water. And there's this understanding that if I'm thirsty, I come to Christ, and the result of that is there's stuff flowing out of me. It's not just about what's coming into me. It's about the, the automatic assumption there are things coming out of me. And so that is a pattern that's been in the Scriptures all the way back, that's not just a New Testament thing. In the Old Testament, it was very clearly a thing. And it's a big thing when it comes to the prophets. There was always these things called the school of prophets. And wherever you have an Elijah or Elisha, there was always these followers who they were training up in the middle of what they were doing. They were training up others. And so there's, a, there's, a, there's an understanding about multiplication that we need to have in order not just to understand the story, but in order to understand Jesus and in order to understand God. God is organic. And what that means is he's bursting with life. There is, it is natural. It's like uh, culture, when, when we invest into someone else's life and when we reproduce, that stuff's never clean. It's never hygienic. If you go into a, into a hospital room, you go to the maternity floor, it's not just tidy and clean and everything pristine in there. You're going to hear noises and sounds and you're going to, like if you walk into a delivery room, it's crazy. There's life bursting out, but it's crazy, you know? It's wild. It's a mess kind of thing. And when it comes to the the picture of God, when he creates life, he doesn't do it like he he takes an injection molding and makes a mold of a human and makes a mold, and that's not how it works. He takes mud. 
He takes dirt and he puts it together and slaps it together and rubs it together and breathes into it. And there's like, man, that's like germs and stuff and dirt and breath. And, you know, it's very like natural. And yet out of it, there's just this life that flows. And life in the kingdom of God is like that. It's, it, 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 we, and we have to understand that if we're going to understand how this story works. Okay, so this story of Gehazi is that he is known as the servant of Elijah. And there's three different words in the stories of Gehazi, three different uh, Hebrew words that all get translated into one English word. And the one English word is servant. But there's three different Hebrew words that mean servant. And they get, all three of them get used about Gehazi and they tell an amazing story. And I have a feeling that we don't have the time to plummet the depths of what all is told there. But what we can do is just say this, that if we don't understand Gehazi as a servant, if we don't understand the principle of multiplication in the kingdom of God and that God is a God who's constantly birthing new things, if we don't understand that, then we won't understand what this word servant means and what it means for Gehazi to be a part of the kingdom of God or not. Okay, and so, uh, and then likewise for us. So I want to ask you as we get started in telling the story about Gehazi, I just want to ask you, who are you mentoring? Who are you pouring into? Who does God have in your life that you can give what he has given to you to them? Who is that? Is there someone or a few people who when you think of, you're like, it is like central to the mission of my life right now to take what God has entrusted into me and therefore entrust it to others. That is a biblical pattern as much as cells reproducing themselves in our body so that we're constantly alive. The kingdom of God, the organism of God, the body of Christ reproduces all the time and we are a part of the body and therefore we have to be reproducing all the time. So I ask you, where is that happening in your life? Where is that? And perhaps maybe where is it that you're seeking for someone to help pour into you as well? And that one's a little bit easier. I think we all want, many of us want that. Like, yeah, I would love it if like, you know, some guru was just pouring into my life and making my life better. But sometimes that happens when we get into the flow of actually saying, I want to pour in. And then in the midst of pouring in, God provides for us so that we can pour in. So I want to ask us that. Are we doing that? And if not, this isn't a request made of God. This isn't an optional thing in the kingdom of God. If cells aren't reproducing themselves, then the body dies. And so when it comes to our spiritual life, that we, it has to be in motion in order for us to be healthy and vibrant and alive. The, the conduit there has to be flowing it. So I'm just going to stop right now. We're going to take a second. We're going to close our eyes. And we're going to pray. If you don't have that person yet, we're going to ask right now that God would begin to reveal who that is, who he might have you pour into their life. Okay? So, Father God, we just come to you right now and ask that you would fill up our imagination and our minds with who are the people who are in our lives who you have called us to pour into. Thank you. We ask that you would take these people, God, now, 
and uh, you would begin to help us in our relationship with them to be a real blessing to you and your kingdom in our relationship with them. In the name of Jesus, amen. So what's it like to walk a day in Gehazi's shoes? Um, Gehazi, it's interesting as you watch this guy in the scriptures, this is all in 2 Kings. Everything's in 2 Kings starting in chapter 4 and it goes to about chapter 8, the stories of Gehazi. Obviously, we're not going to be able to to do justice to four chapters in uh, big Old Testament history chapters, but we'll try to hit a few of the stories there. Um, Basically, the life of Gehazi is he totally has to be um, schlepping Elijah's stuff around all the time. I mean, he's a workhorse. There's no question about it. He's the young guy who has to do a lot of the physical work for Elisha. I keep saying Elijah. It's Elisha is the guy who's mentoring him. I will will mess that up consistently. I'm confessing ahead of time, okay? Um, Elijah was the one who mentored Elisha. Elisha now is mentoring Gehazi. And you might say, how do you know that he's mentoring him? This is just... It says that he's his servant. Well, there's a couple reasons why. Um, The narrative makes this really clear. It goes from Elijah, Elisha being the servant of Elijah, and the whole narrative is there. And then the next thing, it transitions into Gehazi being the servant of Elisha, and the narrative just continues on. And it's obvious that there's like a, just along with that is in the, um, in the, the, the same passage in the Kings and in Chronicles, one king to the next king to the next king, one prophet to the next prophet to the next prophet. There's a chain, and Gehazi's um, in that chain. And you can tell the way that Elijah's engaging him, he's really working at trying to show him. And I'll, I'll show you how. But Gehazi's kind of schlepping things around for Elisha all the time, and then uh, and then is engaged in prayer and in the activity that Elisha has. So turn with me to Second Kings chapter four, verse one or verse eight. Now, Elisha has just got done doing one of those spectacular miracles. You, the, the patterns in the scripture, you see, it's not only people get repeated, but stories get repeated. There was like Elijah had the Zarephath widow who remember she had nothing left and she was about to die and give her last pancake to her son and they were going to die. And then Elijah says, give me the pancake. And he does. And they always have enough to eat. Well, then Elisha, his spiritual son, has this moment with the Shunammite widow who doesn't have it. Her husband had been a prophet and her husband died. He was one of the ones who, was, who uh, Elisha was mentoring. But he had died and now she's here and she's empty-handed and she can't pay her bills. So Elisha says, get all the jugs in the house you can. And he goes and he gets the oil and he starts, they start pouring it out and until all the jugs are filled up. And then all of a sudden the oil runs out and that's it. And she sells it all and pays all her bills. The, the similarities between the first story and the second story are startling. And you see that all across the pages of scripture, that when it's the same God working in the same people throughout generation to generation, it's funny how you start seeing stories that look very similar to stories that happened back there happening here because it's the same God. And, he, and, and the stories that are in this scripture, I just want to promise you, they are not fairy tales. They are not stories. They are real people, real lives, and a real God who does real things that really happen today for those who really believe. So, verse 8. One day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. I love that. And she said to her husband, 
Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. First principle, when someone comes by that has spiritual maturity, do everything you can to host them in your life. Everything you can to host them in your life. This woman had great discernment and she was like, I will do whatever it takes. I will build a I'll build an addition on our house so that this guy doesn't get a hotel, so he stays with us, so that we can get time with him. Smart woman. Verse eleven. One day he came there and turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, all right, first time that we hear of Gehazi, he said to Gehazi, his servant. And if you go back just a couple pages, you'll see that's the same word that's referred to uh, for Elijah, Elisha, used to be referred to as Elisha. And that word is, it's uh, called nar, which actually means young man, or it would be the essentially apprentice attendant um, to Elisha. And so uh, call this Shunammite. And by by the way, that's not the -the run-of-the-mill word for servant. You'll see that one coming up in a little bit. Um, call this Shunammite. That's the woman. Uh, So he's telling Gehazi, go get her. And when he had called her, she stood before him. Now watch this in verse 13. And he said to him, say now to her, see you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Isn't that weird? Like, okay, can you go get the woman? She comes and stands. And he's like, Gehazi, what I want you to do is I want you to ask her right now, what we can do for her. She's standing right there, you know? And he doesn't ask her. He makes Gehazi ask her. Why? Young Padawan, you know? Like he's, he's training him. He's showing him. They have given hospitality to us. They, have, they, are, um, they are, and there's a principle in the scripture talking about honoring the prophet. They are honoring the prophet. They will receive the prophet's reward. That's a principle in the scripture. So he's saying, What is it that we can do for her? He's teaching him what it means to walk in this this lifestyle, okay? Um, See, you have taken, so say now to her, see, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is it that can be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? So in other words, he's like, do you want me to do something big and powerful for you? And she's like, no, I'm like down here. I don't need any of that. And so then he says, what can we do? And Gehazi answers, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. This word servant that she's saying is maid servant. This is run-of-the-mill female servant. Different word for servant. Very different Hebrew word. That's actually a fourth word um, for servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring as Elisha had said to her. Whose idea was it that she had the child? Gehazi. Yeah. So listen to this. The Elisha says, ask her what she wants. She doesn't know what she wants. Gehazi, you tell me, what does she actually want? He's getting Gehazi to think. 
Gehazi's like, man, of course she wants a child. Done. And then he shows him how this works, you know. All right, moving forward. Down to verse 25. Now, this is what happened. I've got to give you a, a background. The, the son gets super sick um, and uh, is dying, or is dead, actually. And she is on a mission. She lies to her husband about where she's going. And she packs a mule and takes off and is headed to find Elijah. So in verse 25, she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Anybody remember anything about Mount Carmel? What happened at Mount Carmel? What's that? Transfiguration. And up till now, before now, before Elisha, what happened at Mount Carmel? The prophets of Baal. Prophets of Baal, the encounter with the prophets of Baal, this fire came down from heaven. And who called the fire down from heaven? Elijah, Elisha's mentor, right? So Elisha's mentor, this is the defining moment of Elijah's life, really, is when he stood up to Jezebel and all her prophets and fire came down from heaven and consumed them all. And where's Elisha hanging out? In the footsteps of his father, you know? And so here he is at Mount Carmel. And so she knows where to find him. And she goes to Mount Carmel. And when the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there's the Shunammite. I don't know how he knows. I'm pretty sure that it's not because he can physically tell. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? This is where the young guy has the legs. And so he's like, run, go Go check it out. Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? She answered, all is well. She lies again. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught a hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Any other moments you can think of in the scriptures where someone lays a hold of someone else and people try to push them away? Yeah, it happens with Jesus multiple times where people are trying to get access to Jesus and his servants, his disciples, try to push them away. And they're trying to hold the line like we're not going to let people have that access or, or, you know, and they're trying to hold the line, but they're not in tune with what's spiritually happening. They probably are doing the job that they normally do. Like you got to provide protection for a person like that. But then there's these moments when you can't because they actually need access. But they're not listening spiritually. They're just kind of doing their thing, right? And so what happens here is Gehazi is, he says, he comes over and tries to grab her and pull her away. And actually this word push her away is a very violent word in the Hebrew so this was like, he came to actually like rip her away because she had a grip on him. But the man of God says, leave her alone, man. She's in bitter distress. And what's amazing is, is Elisha is telling Gehazi, I don't have a clue what's going on either. He's being transparent with Gehazi. He's like, I don't know what's happening. The Lord's hid it from me. And then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, instant response to Gehazi, tie up your garment, take my staff in your hand, and go. If you meet anyone, 
do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. He has to give Gehazi direct, clear instruction. And he's like, go, 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 go. And he grabs the staff and he runs. Okay. Therefore he returned to me. Oh, wait, I just jumped ahead. Um, Then uh, verse 30, then the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, And as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. In other words, she wasn't trusting Gehazi. And that's important to know. She wouldn't tell Gehazi what was going on. She also doesn't trust that things are going to work out with Gehazi when he gets there. And in both counts, she was proven true, proven right. Her gut instinct was that it wasn't going to work. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound of sign or life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, the child has not awakened. Elisha, I don't think Elisha thought that was a wasted errand. I think he's still in the process of teaching Gehazi. And when Elisha came to the house, he saw the child lying on the bed, on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. At this moment, he actually has a a Gehazi outside. And then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes. I don't know how you put eyes on another person's eyes. Um, And his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him. And the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her and she came to him and said, and he said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. All right. When we get around someone who has a deep abiding relationship with God and we stay close to them, it's amazing what we can actually see. Um, And when we uh, work to get ourselves in the company of believers um, and ask God to lead us, something very profound can start to take place. I, um, I've, I, I had two pastoral mentors in my life, and I, I'll never forget the day when uh, the one mentor, um, we went to uh, Brethren Village uh, Retirement Home, and because we had a, a, a woman whose husband had been the pastor of that church for many years, and she was dying, and he brought me with him, and he sat me down at the bed next to this woman, and he just sat there, and he said, how are you going to minister to her right now? And I had never been at the deathbed of someone. I, you know, I remember kind of vividly, or uh, not vividly, I, uh, in the back of my head with shadows, I kind of remembered being around my grandmother as she was passing, but it wasn't like in the moment. And so here I am, you know, a young man, new in ministry. And for the first time, I'm sitting by uh, someone's deathbed as they're passing. And he just said, okay, what are you going to do? Um, and 
so we start praying and everything and the, the how that shapes your life when, and any one of us, whether it's a profession or whether it's a relationship, there's moments where you can think of first moments, first things and how they shape you. And to have someone in place being there covering us and watching and then being able to process is an enormous gift, an enormous gift that many people don't have often. And I think many times we get put in situations where we really wish that there was someone there to help guide us through this whole thing. But interestingly, much (coughs) of what happens with Elisha and Gehazi is not Elisha telling Gehazi exactly what to do. He says, "What what should we do for this woman? He says, here, take the staff and go. And sometimes things work out and sometimes they don't. But he gives them the space. And one of the principles here that's really important is as we're in the multiplication process, sometimes things work great and they just happen. Other times they don't. Sometimes we know if we're caring for someone else what to tell them to do and how to explain everything. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's just real time and we're trying to figure it out. But that doesn't inhibit the process. We're on a journey together. And you just kind of keep walking out the journey. Now, Gehazi could have seen the, the fact that he went and laid his staff on this person as a complete and total failure, but it doesn't work that way. Sometimes when things don't work, those are the seed of us learning more. You know? I remember that same mentor one time. He was, I was preaching at the church, and I went to preach the story of the restoration of Peter when uh, Jesus is restoring him and he says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And I preached the whole thing based on these two Greek words for love that were in there. And at the end of the message, he was like, that was a really good message. You realize you used the wrong two Greek words. You flip-flopped them. And he's like, and pretty much your whole message was based on the fact that you had it the wrong way. And he's like, there were spiritual principles underneath of there that were true, but that didn't come from the text. And I was like, oh. I just mishandled the word of God, you know? And he laughed and slapped me on the back, you know? And he's like, been there, you know? It's okay, it's okay, grace, just acknowledge it. And, you know, and those moments are profound moments where we make mistakes or it doesn't work out the way we were hoping. But God's fathering heart in that thing toward us is like, it's fine, we're on a journey. It's fine. Mistakes and things not working is part of what it takes to learn and to grow. So wherever you're feeling like, I don't know if this is working out. I'm trying to be a follower of Jesus. I don't know. It's okay. It's fine. Just get back on the horse. <laughs> Keep going. It's fine. That's all, that's all part of the process. And likewise, um, even as we try to mentor, sometimes uh, we don't know how it's going to work out right. All right. One more thing here in... Um, And a principle is that Gehazi saw some of the things that were some of the most amazing things that I have. I, I can't even imagine some of the things that he saw. And yet Gehazi, what we find as his life continues forward is that he seems to have less and less vision, not more and more vision. And you'll see in the story that we're just about to look into. And so uh, there, there's, you know, the whole idea that we are the, th- that thought I said at the beginning, that we tend to think that we're the sum of our experiences. So if a person studied under this person and experienced all of that, then they got to be really good at it. Not necessarily true. And this is why. I mean, you look at Gehazi and you realize this guy saw people risen from the dead. 
This guy saw uh, the, the story at the end of chapter four is uh, the, prerequ- the, the, the uh, foreshadowing of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, he has a moment, Elijah, where he feeds an entire army based on a few pieces of bread. And if you look at it, just look at uh, verse 43. Um, th- there was only a little bit of bread and uh, Elijah, Elisha had just said, give it to the men that they may eat. Verse 43, but his servant said, and his servant's Gehazi, how can I set this before a hundred men? And so Elisha repeated, give it to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. Remind you of the New Testament? You know, it's amazing how that stuff repeats itself. But Gehazi couldn't believe it. He's struggling to believe it, but he just saw someone rise from the dead, you know? And when we see the miraculous and see profound things happen from God, the assumption is that because we see those things, therefore we'll have more faith. But what Jesus says is, blessed are those who don't see and yet still believe. That's what he says to Thomas. And I think that there's this thing inside of us that has a really hard time just taking the truths of Scripture and then standing on them and saying they are the truth and they are the reality. We want to see those things worked out in a way that it's like, if I could just see this, then I would have more faith and then it would work and I could... It says it. What is that? Remember the the old uh, thing? I don't know any of you in Sunday school or Bible club as kids, if you were a part of any of that, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, you know? And so when Elisha says, give him the food, and he's like, no, I can't do that. Okay. It would really work a whole lot better if you just gave him the food. He gives him the food, whoa, you know? He had just seen someone rise from the dead, you know, and all of that. So seeing is not what uh, gives us more faith. Our hearts determine what we'll see. All right, next story. We got to hustle here. I got to. I want to apply a principle, um, but I, but I really want us to see this story. Turn to chapter five. I'm going to tell you this story instead of reading it. What happens is this is a story of Naaman. And uh, Naaman is this commander who has uh, leprosy. And he has leprosy, you know, the bad skin disease. Of course, he's a pariah in everyone's eyes. And you know the story is that someone says to him, there's this guy, Elisha, who raised someone from the dead. Like, clearly this guy's going to be able to help you out. Naaman hops on his horse, heads to see Elisha. Elisha sees him coming, and the text says he sends a messenger to him. The general assumption is that the messenger is the same messenger he sends in all the stories, which is Gehazi. Yeah, so Gehazi goes and says, um, hey, this is what my master says. He says, the Jordan River's here. I want you to get off your horse and go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Of course, Naaman's looking at this guy who is a servant, which means a young guy, and who is this young guy showing up before I even get to the prophet and telling me to get off my horse and to go dip in the nasty Schuylkill, I mean Jordan River seven times and in order to receive healing? And so at first he refuses, and then it says that his servants actually minister to him and say, remember the guy raised people from the dead And this is kind of a crazy thing he's asking you to do. It's probably going to work. Go do it. 
Naaman humbles himself and he gets in the water seven times and he comes out and he is completely clean of leprosy. Praise God. Praise God. I still feel like when we hear that stuff, we still got to say praise God because that's like a real human that walked the earth and got into the water and was healed by that. It was awesome. So he gets out of the water. He's healed. He comes to Elisha and he's like, man, I'm going to open up the floodgates for you. I just want to bless you. So he's like, he's, he's now wanting to pour out blessing on him, but Elisha can see enough in his heart and know how this guy works. And he's like, I can't receive any of that from you because you're going to feel like you're paying for it. And so, no. Man, Gehazi is getting real-time education right now. Real-time education about what it means to minister for the Lord. So Naaman leaves. Bless you, please. Then it happens. This is where it happens. Um, I'll, tell, I'll still tell you. Um, Gehazi decides, man, my, my master got duped on this one. He should have taken the money, you know? And he says, well, at least I could get something for myself. And probably somewhere in his head, he has a justification that says, and I'm sure I'll need to use this for him at some point. So he goes back and says to Naaman, hey, we had some guys show up. Um, so these sons of prophets show up at our place. Can you give us um, a bag of silver and a couple changes of clothes? I don't know why he wanted a couple change of clothes. I'm like, was he trying to run away? Was he trying to find another life at this point? Was he sick of being the servant? Like, I'm not sure what that's about. But what ends up happening is, is he gets the silver and he gets the bag of clothes, or the, the clothes, and he goes back home and he drops the clothes off in the house. And then it says he stands before Elisha. So here it is, verse 24. And when he came to the hill, he took them, took them from their hand, that was the, the goods, and put them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. He went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. This word servant is the, is the different word now. So Gehazi, when referring to himself, uses a different word for servant than all the other times. It's been the young man apprentice, and now what he says is, your slave didn't go anywhere, Elisha. And what has happened is, is Gehazi has stopped seeing himself now as one who is being fathered by this man and instead has felt the burden of what it means to have to always be under this guy. And something has started to shift in his mind where Elisha's the one who's doing all the amazing things. But when I put the stick on the guy's face, it didn't work. And now here we are. And I was the one who didn't think that things would work out and the people would get fed. But Elisha told me to do it and everyone got fed. I don't know if he felt insecure or if he felt pushed down. But somewhere along the line, something started to shift to the point where he's like, I got to find some clothes and I got to find some coins for me. And he tucks it away and he comes and stands before Elisha and Elisha says, Gehazi, where you been? And he says, your slave didn't go anywhere, Gehazi. Or your slave didn't go anywhere, Elisha. And listen to Elisha's response, just a precious response. But he said to him, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? And what happens in this moment is he's like, his father heart for this guy just boom, just cannot handle the fact that that transpired. 
that that transpired. And he says, was it time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards and sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence like a leper, like snow. That was not a curse from Elisha. That was an awareness of the brokenness and the results of it. Fortunately, that's not the end of the story. The story continues. Um, I say fortunately, I don't, I don't actually know. Um, uh, but I know we've got to close, so here's the, here's the deal. In chapter 8, you'll see the name Gehazi mentioned for the last time. And Gehazi's standing before a king who, um, after the famine, is asking questions about Elisha. And he goes and gets Gehazi and asks him all these questions about Elisha. He's getting intel, inside scoop from Gehazi. In the meantime, what we realize is something has transpired from that moment with Naaman to, the, to that moment. And we can't tell what it is. Either Elisha has found a new servant or Gehazi has continued to be his servant and has served in a more broken fashion. But you don't, they, they continue to refer to Elisha's servant and never introduce another servant. And so some assume that Gehazi is broken now and is serving appropriately, and some assume that he found another servant and is talking about someone different. So for chapter 6 and 7, we see these stories, and the most amazing story, the one I initially thought I was going to be talking about today, was the one where all the all the armies are sent to get Elisha because he keeps giving intel on the pagan king. You know this one? There's a king who every time he goes to hurt the Israelite king, he gets tipped off. The Israelite king gets tipped off. And so the, the, the pagan king can't figure out why he can't get a hold of this guy. And then someone tells him, oh, there's this prophet who in his bedroom can hear the words that are happening in your bedroom. And he keeps telling the king and he sends his whole army to go and take out this prophet. Whole army to take out one guy. Surrounds the entire city. And that day when his servant wakes up and walks outside, he sees the army and is like, and Elisha, this is the thing. This is is so important. This is what it says. The scripture says, so Elisha came outside and he began to pray. And you see his prayer. And his prayer is not about the army. His prayer is singular. Pray that you would open the eyes of my servant so he can see. He wasn't concerned about the circumstances. He was concerned about the one who he was mentoring. And he says, God, open his eyes. And the best part of mentoring, the best part of parenting, the best part of the multiplication process is when we can't do anything to help the person. All we can do is hit our knees and we say, God, open the eyes. And then you open up and you see that behind the circumstances of our world, there is an angelic army that is all around. And if they had already believed what the scriptures say, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them, they would have already seen that and known that. But he couldn't see it and he didn't know it because his faith was still lacking. So his spiritual mentor prayed, raise his faith, open his eyes to believe what the scriptures say and the reality of what's there and his eyes see and whoa. Now, 
I want to go back to the, the last the f- initial question with all that. There's, and the initial question is, who are you mentoring? Um, Gehazi had a really hard time serving Elisha. And the reason is, is because, um, honestly, he just struggled, I believe, with a fear of people, a fear of circumstances. And he couldn't get to the spot where he just rested in God's plan for his life and trusted God. And in some ways, he was only serving Elisha. He wasn't actually serving God. And so he couldn't trust God when things were difficult. It's tough to submit to human authority in our lives. And it is also tough to take human authority appropriately in our lives. And the only way that those things actually can work is when we're not trusting the humans, but we're trusting God. Because God is, it is an organic, messy thing. And it's never perfect and it doesn't fit. But to the extent that we just trust God's plan and the way it works, then even when it's messy, God will continue to reproduce his story generation after generation. And we'll see the stories of the the feeding of the 5,000 like we saw Elisha. We'll see the story of the Zarephath widow and the Shunammite widow. We'll see the stories of God continue on from generation to generation, from parent to child, from mentor to mentee, as we trust God in the midst of all the chaos of what it looks like in these stories. But if at some point we want to pull the eject button and say, I got to protect myself and I got to make this thing work and I got to take it into my own hands, then there's danger. There's danger. And so what I want to ask us to do um, as, we, as we close out is I want to ask us to think about, uh, again, that person. And it might be your children. If you're, if you're a parent, it's definitely your children. <laughs> you know, you ha- we have to start there. But then anyone else who God's put in your life who you can pour into. Um, And our first request of the Lord is not that I would receive, but that I would be able to give. And so this is the way we're going to close it. Pass it on. P-A-S, okay? Pray, ask, and study. And this is what I mean. We pray that the Lord would arrange those relationships. We intentionally ask to form those relationships. And then we study the scriptures about how those things work. And so we're going to take a a minute right now and ask God, help me to pass it on. Help me to pass it on to be a part of the story of generationally passing it on. Father God, we just come before you right now with the people who you've put in our lives. The Elishas, the Gehazis, the Elijahs, that God, you with the disciples, us with you, Paul with Timothy, there's, there's this thing that just happens where there's this generational multiplication that takes place and we are a part of the body, so we're a part of it, God. We ask that you would help us to be those who pass it on. I ask, God, that you would raise up our prayer in each one of us, that there would be a relentless prayer for you to build those relationships and then a prayer for those relationships to work. I ask for courage for us to ask to engage in those relationships. And then you would give us, God, the the perspective and the insight as we study about what it means to be a mentor from your scriptures, God. We ask all that in the name of Jesus. I thank you that you have been, Jesus, that this story of Gehazi, and uh, we just want to celebrate this. This is the the answer to our prayer. The story of Gehazi, he's a subplot in a story of Elisha. And Elisha, is a subplot in the story of God. And help us, God, help us to not feel like subplots to one another, but to all feel like we are truly loved children of God.
playing our part in the story as it's playing out right now and to trust you. God, thank you that Gehazi and the idea of a servant shows us something, that you became the suffering servant of God and you became the servant of all, laying down your life without complaining so that we could have life. God, we thank you and praise you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen.